you know, the back, uh, you know, like closet of their life. But many of us assign him sovereignty over certain parts of our life. For example, uh, you know, you know, God becomes the, the boss of religious issues in our life or, uh, moral matters or the international conflicts in our world or even questions of faith. But the more mundane things of our life, you know, we, we, we want to maintain control on those things. You know, it's, it's the, uh, it's, it's areas like our finances, for example, or maybe, uh, some business decision or you have some relationship issue. Uh, these sort of things, the more mundane things of life, we, 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 you know, God has his area over there, but th- this is my area, right? And when we do that sort of thing, we're playing the game of God. And sometimes we think God doesn't care about everything, and maybe that's one reason we sometimes play this game. However, at the core of that false philosophy is the idea that we are the masters of our own destiny. In fact, some of you might know there's a poem written on this. Uh, the, the kind of people who like playing the game of God would, would certainly like William Henley's poem called Invictus. Here's what he said in part of that poem. He said, It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. So that kind of philosophy works itself out in people's lives sometimes, often. That's the philosophy of the person who plays God in his or her life. You think you're the captain of your soul. You pray only for important things. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you call your own shots. That's what it is playing the game of God. Well, in this section of the book we call James, James points out three responses to the will of God. A mature Christian is one who knows the will of God, cares about the will of God, seeks to obey the will of God. And he's going to give us uh, various responses. How do you respond to God's will? And of course, only one of them is correct. And so as we read the scripture together, James wants you to think through these responses and, and ask yourself, which one am I? How am I responding to God's will? Okay, How are you responding to God's will? So let's look at James 4 and see what uh, it says here in verse 13. Verse 13 says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. For whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That's the words of the living God for us today. So I propose to you today that I'm going to give you a negative and a positive sentence here today. That God does not want you to play God over your life. 
But what he does want you to do is he wants you to obey his will. God wants you to obey his will. He knows what's best for you. He is a good God, and he wants what's best for us. And what is best for us is to obey his will. So I ask again, how are you responding to God's will? Well, one way you could respond to God's will is this first one here we see, which is you could ignore God's will. That's your first fill in the blank there. You could ignore God's will as particularly verses 13 and 14 are talking about. And the idea is, uh, think, think through this. Maybe uh, try to put yourself in, in James Sandals here for a moment. Uh, perhaps James was addressing some wealthy businessmen that, that could have been in the assembly. Uh, that maybe they had discussed their business deals. Maybe they were even boasting about their plans. And there is no evidence that they sought the will of God. Uh, there's no evidence that they prayed about their decisions. And like a lot of people who try to measure success, they measure success in life by how many times they actually got their own way and they accomplished their plans. So the first response here is they ignored God's will. And one commentator was helpful on this as he's commentating on those couple verses there. He said this, quotes on the screen. The businessman's statement contains five presumptuous elements indicating their ill-advised confidence. Notice, first of all, they chose their own time today or tomorrow. Second, they chose their own location for doing business, which is such and such a city. Third, they chose their own duration, deciding to spend a year there. Fourth, they chose their own enterprise to engage in business. Finally, they chose their own goal or objective to make a profit. James is not attacking their profit motive, but their exclusion of God. Allowing for no contingencies, they planned as if they were omniscient, omnipotent, and invulnerable. By the way, these, these words all-knowing, all-powerful, right? Those are things exclusively for God. We cannot claim those. So basically, what they're doing here is they're playing God. They're playing the game of God. Now, somebody who's smarter than me has come up with the rules for playing the game of God. Here they are. They're found right here in the text. If you want the rules for playing God, according to verse 13, number one, look look at this. Here's what you do. You set your own schedule. Uh, By the way, we're probably all guilty of at least one of these, if not all five of these. So please do, if if the shoe fits, then please wear it, own it, okay, and do something about it. So are you guilty of setting your own schedule? Because notice, what, what are they doing here? They're saying today or tomorrow. I'm setting my own schedule. That's what I'm going to do. That's the first rule for playing God. Number two, you select your own path. Right? Notice what the scripture says. Hey, we're going to go here, and we're going to go here, and we're going to this town, and right? So I'm going to do my own thing, my way. And, and, I'm, and notice number three, I'm placing my own limits on this. How long am I going to spend in that town? A year. And number four, you arrange your own activities. Because notice what are they doing? They're going to that town, and their scripture says they're going to trade. I'm going to trade. That's 
when I'm going there. That's the purpose for going there. And I get to predict my own outcome. Because I am omnipotent. (laughs) So I'm going to make a profit. There's five ways you can play the game of God. Those are the rules, according to James 4, verse 13. But notice... If you're feeling guilty here, but I, I, like me, I just want you to notice that none of those activities just actually described there are negative. They're, in other words, they're not inherently evil. Okay, we all do these things. Well, maybe maybe not some of these things, but you, you probably do at least one of those, right? And, and they're not inherently evil. It's okay to do some of the. It's okay to go to a town, for example. Most of you went. Yesterday to a town, a little town, and to a wedding, right? That, that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. However, what James is doing here, he's presenting four arguments that reveal the foolishness of ignoring the will of God. Now, notice there's no talk whatsoever about God in that picture of James 4. So let's talk about the foolishness of ignoring God's will, because ignoring God's will is the one of the responses... God's will. So, here it is. Number one, it's foolish to ignore God's will because God says life is complex. He says it's complex. And notice again verse 13 of James 4, which says, Come now, you who say, tomorrow or today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Just just think of all the things going on in just that one little verse there. What's involved in your day-to-day lives, right? You have today, you have tomorrow, you have buying, you have selling, you have getting gain, you could lose, you could go here, you could go there. So what's the point, friends? Life is made up of a lot of things. Life is made up of people, lots of places, lots of activities. You have goals. You have days here. You have years. And each one of us has to make a lot of crucial decisions every day of our life. For some of you, that really the most crucial decision is, do I choose chocolate or vanilla? No, that's a joke. Uh, That's not a crucial decision. Um, Unless you're like me and you love ice cream. But, But for some of you, it might be, do I wear blue socks today or black socks? No, that's not a crucial decision either, right? You get the point. We make all sorts of decisions every day. Now, how often do, does God even enter the picture, right? Now, how often do we even think about God? And so apart from the will of God, life is a mystery. Life's a mystery. And so when you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and, and you're seeking to do His will then life is going to start to make sense. Even the physical world around you is going to take on new meaning. You're spiritualized, man, when they're open. Wow, it really changes things. And there's a simplicity and a unity to my life. The more I'm growing in my fellowship with Jesus Christ and God, man, it's really life-transforming. I'm no longer living in some mysterious universe. And uh, I understand when I sing the hymn, this is my Father's world. Uh, that, that makes sense. Yeah, it is His world, and I'm, I'm a part of that. And how do I fit into that? Well, 
you don't know him, it's going to be mysterious. And so to ignore God's will is foolish because life is very complex. But there's a second reason here. Look, at the, the, it's foolish to ignore God's will because life is uncertain. It's uncertain. Look at verse 14. Right? It says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You might have a schedule for tomorrow, which I recommend you do, but you need to be flexible in that schedule. Right? Because life throws stuff at us. God enters stuff into our lives, which would you... You know how this works, right? You didn't have it on your schedule. Right? You know the flat tire. How many of you schedule flat tires on your schedule? Or, uh, you know, I had to go to the emergency room, or my child went to the emergency room today. I never put that sort of stuff on my schedule. Life is uncertain. And it's interesting here that this is actually coming from Proverbs 27, by the way. Proverbs 27 says, Do not boast of tomorrow, for you know not what a day may bring forth. You don't. Yeah, by all means, schedule. Do that. That's that's a healthy thing. Be disciplined. But uh, what's going on here is these businessmen apparently were making plans for their entire year when they couldn't even see what was going on in the next day. I won't ask if you've done that. But just notice how confident these imaginary men are, (laughs) whoever they are. Because notice what it says. We will go. It says we will stay a year. We will buy and sell. We will make a profit. You can't guarantee that. Life is uncertain. And so their attitude here is reminding us of Jesus teaching, well, it reminds me of Jesus teaching in Luke chapter 12, where Jesus told a parable, don't turn there please, but hopefully you know the story, there was a man who had a plentiful crop, his barns were too small, the Bible says, Jesus said, his barns were too small to hold this huge amount of crops that he had harvested, so he decided he was going to build bigger barns, he was going to have greater security for his future And in Luke chapter 12, verse 19, here's what Jesus says, I quote, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Does that sound like good advice? Is that that a good way to speak to your soul? (laughs) Well, here was God's reply to that man's boasting. Jesus said, you fool. This night your soul shall be required of you. (laughs) Yeah. Why is that? Life is uncertain. Life is uncertain. But it is not uncertain to God, though. It certainly is uncertain to me and to you. And so only when we are in His will can then we can be confident of tomorrow for we know that God is leading us. But there's a third reason here. It is foolish to ignore the will of God because life is short. Your life is short. God says so right there in verse 14. He says, what is your life? What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. 
For you, life might seem like it's really, really long. It's taking a long time. Especially when you're Caleb's age, right? You get, or Daniel's age right here. You know, you, man, I've lived my whole life. It just seems like it's taking forever. You know, and you want to get to some certain point in your life or whatever. But we, we often measure our life in years, don't we? That, that's the point of having birthday parties, isn't it? But in comparison to eternity, God says your life is like a vapor. <clears throat> we count our years every time we have a birthday. But God says, actually in Psalm 90, you're to count your days. After all, you, you live a day at a time, and those days can rush by rather quickly. It seems like the older I get, those days seem to go even quicker. Why is that? I mean, is anybody else experiencing that? The older you get, life just seems, wow, I'm, <laughs> where did that decade go? And so God reveals his will in his word. I'm thankful for that. And so since life is so brief, since life is so short, we cannot afford merely to just spend our lives. And, and you certainly don't want to be one who is wasting your life. You have to invest your life in things that are of eternal value. And so you say, well, how do I know what that is? Well, that's where you need to come to God's Word. God reveals His will in that way in His Word. But yet, it seems like a lot of people ignore the Bible. And in the Bible, God gives you commands and principles and promises that can help guide you in every area of life. Knowing and obeying the Word of God is the only way to success, as Joshua in Psalm says so. So, life is short, but there's a fourth reason. It's foolish to ignore God's will because life is also weak and frail. Life is weak and frail. Did you notice verse 16 says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Our boasting is evil, God says. <laughs> Our boasting, by the way, only covers up our weaknesses. Why is that? Because you cannot control the future. You can't control any future events. You can try, but you have no certainty of that. You don't have the wisdom to see the future. You don't have the power to control the future. Therefore, God says to boast is sin. And, and why is it evil? Because you're making yourself out to be God. You're putting yourself in God's place. And so it's foolish for people to ignore the will of God. It's like going through the dark jungles without a map. It's like trying to travel through the stormy seas without the necessary equipment. Imagine trying to do that without a compass or a GPS or whatever other equipment could be used. That's a fool's errand. So you could ignore God's will. That's one way of responding to his will. We probably are, all of us have probably done that at some point in our life, but you don't want to stay there. There's a second response that we could be guilty of here. Sometimes we disobey God's will. As verse 17 says, right? Whoever knows the right thing to do, if you know God's will and you know it, it's been revealed to you, and you fail to do it, God says to you it is sin. That's disobeying his will. 
Uh, these are the kind of people who know the will of God. Notice, they know it, but what are they doing with it? They're choosing to disobey God's will. And, uh, and so this attitude is expressing great pride then, right? Great pride. This kind of person is saying to God, hey, I know what you want me to do, but hey, I just prefer not to do it. I really know more about this than you do, God. Wow. You know, the Apostle Peter had something to say about that. Look at what he had to say in 2 Peter 2, verse 21. He says, for it, had, it, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. You're better off being ignorant, in other words, than to know the truth and to reject it. So let me ask you this. How can we know God's will? How can we know it? It's important for you to know it, but how can you know it? Well, God's will is expressed for you in the commands and the principles that you see in Scripture. You all have a Bible. We, we are very richly blessed, particularly in the English language, to have so many wonderful resources at our, some of our fingertips or you know, on the computers and so forth. Use them. Use them. You have no excuse for not knowing God's will. You go there, find those commands, find those principles, so you know what it is. But that's fine, but here's a second question to consider. Why do people who know the will of God then deliberately disobey it? For some of you, that's just unimaginable. You'd say, that, I, I just can't imagine myself doing that. Why, then why do people do that? Well, the first reason, same reason, why, why did Lucifer become Satan? Right? Read Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. It's because of pride. I will, I will, I will, I will. Five times, I will. He had a serious eye problem. So, so man, kind, likes to boast that he is the master of his fate. He's the captain of his soul, right? And so man has accomplished a, a lot of marvelous things that he thinks that he can do. And, 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 and we do a lot of things. Sometimes people think they can do anything, which, of course, they can't. That's pride, if you think you can do anything. But there's another reason why people disobey the known will of God. It's, it's, or should I say, why do, why do we deliberately disobey God? Well, it's ignorance sometimes. Man's ignorance of the nature of God's will might be an issue. Uh, sometimes we act as though the will of God is something that we can accept or reject. In reality, by the way, by the way, the will of God for you is not an option. It's not an option. You are obligated to obey the will of God. We, we cannot have an attitude of, well, I'm going to take it or leave it. You know, you, you can't wait for a better deal because there is no better deal, <laughs> right? God gives you the option of obeying Him, and that's it. So because He's the Creator and we're the creatures... We, we need to obey. But what happens? Here's the third question. What happens to Christians then who deliberately disobey the known will of God? What happens? Well, Hebrews 12 tells us that uh, God's children are sometimes chastened, or you, some of your Bibles might say disciplined, by a loving Heavenly Father in order to bring them to a place of obedience. 
Any of you ever been chastened or disciplined by God? When you've been out of fellowship with Him? Well, Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, God says this is a painful thing. But it's a needed thing. It's a blessed thing because we're doing something that's not actually good for us. And so our good, loving Father who knows what's best for you helps to bring you into the, the, the blessed, happy place through the chastening and the discipline. And God says it brings the, a wonderful fruit into your life in the process. So if you're being chastened by your loving Father, submit. <laughs> submit. He knows what's best. But there's a second reason, or, or a, a second, you know, wh- what happens here? Well, number two, you could lose heavenly rewards. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul there compared the believer to a runner in the Greek races, in the Greek games. And in order to qualify for a crown, uh, the runner had to obey the rules of the game. Imagine that. They don't get to just do whatever they want. You don't win gold medals by doing whatever you want. It doesn't work that way. So if a contestant wants to win, they have to obey the rules of the game. And if a contestant was found to have disobeyed that rules, Paul says they're disqualified. They're humiliated. And so disobeying God's will today may not seem like a serious thing to some people, but it will appear very, very serious when Jesus returns. And the Bible says he's going to examine our works. He knows. He knows. That's what happens to Christians who deliberately disobey the known will of God. Now, James tells us the proper response, which is the third response to the will of God, is we should obey God's will. We should obey God's will. Notice what verse 15 says. It says, instead. In other words, don't do the previous verses, what's happening there. Don't, don't, don't play the game of God. Instead, verse 15 says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now that statement, if the Lord wills, sometimes it could become just a cliche for people. Right? It, it, it's not just words rolling off a Christian's lips. Hopefully it's actually coming from the heart. It, it, it should be the constant attitude of your heart. Because Jesus said this in John 4, and this should be your attitude. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So everything in this universe operates according to laws. By the way, that's a good argument for God. I'm not going to go there right now. There's laws in this universe. Where do those things come from? They come from a lawgiver, of course. But if we cooperate with those laws and then we obey them, then the universe is actually going to work with you as opposed to against you. However, you probably know if you fight against those laws and you disobey those laws, the universe, of course, is not going to work with you. It's going to work against you. For example, right? You probably know there are certain laws that govern flight, right? And there's reasons why kids' clothing, you, know, you, know, you go into, the, say, the warehouse, and you buy kids' clothing, you might buy some superhero outfit. Have you ever noticed the warning labels? They're quite funny sometimes. 
right? You know, they might buy a Superman outfit, right? Warning, this will not allow you to fly, or whatever, right? You know, they, they have funny things on these kids' clothing today, because kids, what do they want? You know, they climb up on the roof, whee! Right, and they wonder why they hit the ground real hard. There are certain laws governing flight. Uh, an engineer has to obey those laws in designing and building an airplane. They can't just do whatever they want. The pilot has to obey laws in flying the plane too, doesn't he? <laughs> uh, and so, so, so they both have then the joy of seeing that, that beautiful machine working appropriately. But if the engineer or the pilot, or, or both of them, are ignoring those basic laws that govern flight, then the result is going to be bad, right? Probably a crash, probably the loss of lives, certainly the loss of money. They have to obey those laws that govern flight. And it works kind of similar with God's will. God's will for our lives is certainly comparable to laws. He is built within this universe, with this exception, those laws are general, but the will uh, that he has planned for your life is specifically designed for you. No two lives are planned exactly the same. Now, every commandment, by the way, in the Bible addresses the belief, uh, that is addressed to believers is part of the will of God, and we must obey that. But God doesn't call each of us to the same exact life. Okay? So, so that's one reason why Proverbs says it's, it's unwise for you to compare yourself with other people. You can get yourself in trouble doing that. It's foolish. But God does not call each of us to the same work either. Right? Not all, you know, not all of you are going to get up and preach today, like I am, for example. Uh, not all of you are exercising the same spiritual gifts. Not all of you have the same ministries and so forth. The will of God is something tailor-made for each of us. And so when you and I get out of God's will, it's not the end of everything. <laughs> yes, you might suffer, to be sure, but when God cannot rule, then sometimes He overrules. Just as the body can compensate sometimes, your, your human physical body can compensate sometimes when, when some part of it is malfunctioning. Other, sometimes other parts can, can try to make up for that. And sometimes God adjusts things to bring us back into his will. And so you see, by the way, this uh, clearly illustrated, for example, in uh, with, with the prophet Jonah. You know that interesting story in the Bible? It, the prophet Jonah, did at first, did he do God's will? I mean, God says, Jonah. I mean, how more obvious can you get? Jonah, you are my prophet. You are my messenger. I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to those people. Okay, God. So you want me to go that way? Uh, no thanks, I'm going this way. <laughs> he goes the exact opposite direction. What a fool. Right, you know the story. Eventually, God uses some sea creature to take him the direction that he was supposed to be going, spits him up on the land, and he goes to Nineveh and preaches. Sometimes God overrules our foolishness, <laughs> like he did with Jonah. Wouldn't it have been better if he just obeyed God, though? Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, he, he was still grumpy, you know, even at the end of the story, which I'm not going to get into. You can read that today if you wish. But here's a question to consider. What is the believer's relationship to the will of God? Right? Because, I mean, that's just a little short verse in this passage. 
yeah, yeah, you, you should be thinking in your heart and believe in your heart, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that, as verse 15 says. But the Bible helps us to understand our relationship to God's will. Let me just give you a few things from various parts of your Bible. First of all, God wants you to know his will. Okay, God is not playing hide-and-go-seek with you, with his will. He, he, is, he has made it very clear on some things. In fact, he said, this is the will of God, your sanctification. First, read First Thessalonians. I mean, that's a really obvious one. Some of them are not that obvious. And so the will of God shouldn't be a difficult thing to discover. And if you're willing to obey, God is willing to reveal it's important that you have the, a willing, receptive heart. Number two, God wants us to understand His will. So not only does He want you to know His will for your life, He wants you to even understand it. If you read Ephesians 5 there, uh, it talks about understanding the will of God. And so this is where spiritual wisdom is going to come in. A child can know, for example, physically, earth earthly relationships, a child could know the will of his father, but you might not understand the will of your father. Any of you ever experienced that? Father says something that is his will for your life, you're like, you scratch your head, and you're like, okay, he said that, I'll go do it, but you're not really understanding why father said do that. Any of you ever done that? I have. Sometimes we do that. You could know the will of your father, but not really understand. But a child knows the what, but not necessarily the why. And it's, it's okay if you come with the right spirit, by the way, and ask why. <laughs> That's okay. And so as the friends of Jesus Christ in John 15, we, we see we have the privilege of knowing why God does what he does. It's a privilege. Now, he's not going to reveal everything to you. God's not obligated to answer the why questions. He never did that for Job. So be, be careful, your attitude in coming to God. If you think he has to do everything you want, then you're, you're in trouble. He's not obligated to do that. And third, we see we, we must prove God's will. Romans 12.2 is so helpful there. Right? So it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be conformed to something else, right? You're, you're to be being transformed in the image of Christ, in fact. And, and by the way, it tells you for what purpose. It says, so that you may prove the good will of God. That, that God's will is, a, is something that's acceptable. It's good. It's perfect for you. By the way, the Greek verb there, to prove, it means you're proving it by experience. You're actually experiencing this. It's not just something out there, you know, has nothing to do with you. And so we learn to determine the will of God by actually working at it. And the more we obey, the easier it becomes to discover what God actually wants us to do. It's something like learning to play a musical instrument. Any, any of you tried that? You ever tried to learn to play a musical instrument? That's challenging, especially if you're musically challenged. It's re really challenging. Uh, but but <clears throat> for some people who, who've done this, it, it kind of becomes second nature through, through just 
you keep experiencing it, keep practicing it, and, and uh, hopefully you're doing it the right way, so that it, just, it does become a thing of second nature to you. Eventually, people who, who aren't musically challenged, and they keep practicing, and they got a good teacher, they can, they can feel even what they're doing is right. And it does become second nature. And God's saying God's, God's will should become like that to you. Like, like becoming proficient at playing a musical instrument. And then number four, we must do God's will from the heart, Ephesians 6 tells us. Uh, let's come back to the prophet Jonah again, okay? Jonah knew the will of God. It was really obvious, really obvious. Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach the gospel to them. Tell them judgment is coming unless they repent. Can you get any more obvious than that? I mean, he even told them where to go and what to say. And uh, so he knew the will of God, but God chastened him. God disciplined him. So eventually he went, he went to Nineveh and did what God wanted to do. But he did not do it from his heart, did he? It's pretty obvious because he's grumbling and complaining. Like, God, I knew you were going to be merciful to these people. That's why I didn't want to go there. I knew they were going to repent. I'm going to grumble and complain about your mercy. Yeah, he wasn't doing it from the heart at all, was he? And so Jonah 4, chapter 4, actually indicates that the angry prophet did not love God, nor did he love the people of Nineveh. (laughs) He merely did God's will to keep from getting another one of those rides in a sea creature. Imagine being stuck in some sea creature for three days. Yeah, I won't ask if that's you. We must never think that a failure in knowing or doing God's will permanently affects our relationship with God. Okay, I know some of you might be you might have really flat toes at the moment, like I do. Let me just remind you: the gospel teaches us that there is hope when we sin. You remember one of my favorite verses in the Bible, 1 John 1, 9, because God is a faithful and just God, you can go to Him, you can confess your sin to Him, and He's, he's willing and able to receive you and, and take your sin, deal with your guilt, and, and you're able to forsake that sin, and there comes with that confession of sin, hope, there comes a cleansing, because it says He cleanses you from all sin. You need to be reminded there is forgiveness of sin. So when your toes get squashed by God and His Word, there is hope because God is faithful and just. Let me also tell you that, uh, number two, there's some benefits that come with doing the will of God. See, sometimes we don't want to do God's will because we can't see the benefits. So let me just tell you a few that come from the Bible. They're in your notes there. Number one, You can enjoy a deeper fellowship with Jesus Christ. You get to really know that that He's a real person and you can actually commune with Him. It's a wonderful thing when that happens in a deep and meaningful way. It, It is something that is legitimate. It is real. If you've never experienced that, would you please come talk to me, by the way? You are missing out on the greatest treasure you could have. That's a benefit of doing the will of God. 
But if you, if you just want to do the first two responses, you want to ignore him or disobey him, you're not going to experience that. Number two, you, you could have the privilege of knowing God's truth. There is such a thing as truth. Jesus said he is truth. He said his word is truth. You can know it. We don't want to be arrogant about knowing truth, but it's a wonderful thing to know what truth is. And then three, you get to see your prayers answered. You get to see your prayers answered. You can have prayer. You can commune with God. You get to share your cares with Him. And you know He cares because Peter said He cares for you. And when you pray, you know He's hearing you as long as you're not regarding iniquity in your heart. And then you get to see those prayers answered. And it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? That's all part of doing His will. And then number four, there's an, an eternal quality to your life and, and your works that can only be experienced by somebody who is doing and obeying the will of God. Don't you want your life to count? Or do you want to waste your life? <laughs> well, you want to waste your life? You, you don't want your life to have any significance? Then just ignore God's will and disobey God's will. That's what you'll end up with, a wasted life. But if you want to obey God's will, <laughs> you can have a life of significance. You can have a life that counts and does make a difference. And then last, there's, a, there's, a, there's this expectation the Bible tells of us. You can expect reward when Jesus comes back. Jesus said, I'm going to return. In fact, the, the Bible ends that way. I'm coming quickly, he said. I'm coming. Are you ready? Because he says, when I come, I'm coming with my reward. You're going to be rewarded. He knows. He has a book. The Bible says in heaven, there's a book. It it's, has recorded there everything you've thought, said, done. Of any, any good value there, it's, it's going to be rewarded. And I encourage you to live for that. Have your affections, Colossians 2 says, set on things above, not on this earth. It's, it's those things that have eternal value. Live in light of that. And so the greatest example of one who did the will of God has to be the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he did it perfectly. So I encourage you to look to Jesus, friends. Look to Jesus. Because look, in John chapter 6, verse 38, he actually defined his messianic message, sorry, mission, not message, his mission when he said this, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Sorry, I didn't put that on the screen. But did you get what Jesus said? What was his messianic mission? I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's a good example. And so when he was in agony in Gethsemane and he was facing that awful reality of going to the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ was able to pray, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And so the Lord Jesus Christ perfectly modeled the most essential element of a relationship to God. You know what that is? It's obedience to God's will. You can't have a healthy relationship without obedience to God's will. And Jesus perfectly modeled that for you. 
And so I ask you, friends, which of those three attitudes from James 4 here, which of those attitudes are you experiencing? (laughs) Which one are, are you in? Three categories there. Now, you might flop around in those things. So I ask, do you totally ignore God's will as you go about your daily plans and you're making decisions in life? Does God even enter your mind at all? Or do you know God's will, but then you just refuse to obey God's will, like the prophet Jonah? (laughs) Well, those attitudes, of course, are wrong and can only bring sorrow and ruin into your life, friends. Uh, I I could tell you, even in my own life, there's a lot of sad stories. I've experienced them. Not all. (laughs) I'm sure you've got some stories you could share as well. But they will bring ruin to your life. It's not a pretty place. It's not a happy place. However, when you do know and love and obey the will of God, then you're going to be able to enjoy a lot of blessings from God. Your life, I'm not promising a health prosperity gospel here, uh, okay? I don't want to, that's a dangerous road, a heretical road to head down, but your, your life, yeah, it might not be easier necessarily doing the will of God, but you're going to be happier. And it certainly leads to to greater results in the future, shall we say. Remember what 1 John 2 says? You don't love the world, nor the things in the world. If the love of the Father is not in you, if, if that, you know, if, if you're loving the world, it says the love of the Father is not in you. All that is in the world, you know, those things like the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that's not from the Father. That's from the world. How long is that going to last? Well, the very next verse says it's all passing away. There is nothing of eternal value in that, friends. It's all passing away. Don't go down that path. The best path for you is is obeying the will of God. And so James is saying, friends, this is where you should be. It is the happy place. It is the blessed place. And so may God... Enable us to really believe that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, giving us the clear scripture here of what a mature Christian looks like. May we really, really believe what we believe and understand that obeying your will is the the place of blessing. It is the best best place to be. But may we also understand to disobey your will is, is we can expect cursing. May we really believe that you are a good God who disciplines and chastises his children for our own good because you know what's best for us. So may we submit to your chastening. May may we understand where we've erred and maybe come off the path and may we get back on that path. May we obey your will from the heart. Forgive us when we're like Jonah. May we not... Go and do your will just you know, because we're grumpy or whatever. May we do it for the right reasons. May we care about your honor and your glory. Recognize you're, you're doing this all for our good as well. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.